Will you please join me in Genesis chapter 13 as we continue making our way through the book of Genesis on Sunday mornings. As you are turning there, I'm going to give you a short commercial. Two Sunday nights ago, I began a series on why we use the King James Bible. So if you've ever wondered why our church still uses a translation that's over 400 years old, check it out and come out and join us on Sunday nights. The first message was an introductory lesson where I discuss Satan's strategy as he attacks the Word of God. And I'll still give a lesson or two that's kind of introductory, laying the foundation for the rest of the series, which will ultimately lead us to look at the issue of textual criticism and how that has led to the different manuscripts used in modern translations. It'll be very exciting for some, very boring for others, but I promise you it'll be very informative. It'll be extremely beneficial to understanding why our church chooses to use the King James Bible. And now we return to our regularly scheduled programming. World-renowned author, pastor, teacher, Gary Brooks. No, I'm not an author. No, I'm not (laughs) world-renowned. All right, let's get back to this here. We are currently studying the life of Abram, and we've been considering how that we're watching a man who is learning to walk with God, which is beneficial because all of us were at that point. Some of us are in that point. We're learning to walk with God, and we're seeing that with Abram. We saw in the latter half of chapter 12 how Abram backslid when he was sojourning in Egypt, and last week we followed Abram up out of Egypt back to the land of Canaan. He went back to Bethel, and he went back to the altar, which is really the emphasis. He gets back to the place where he was with God before he left God. Everybody catch that? He, he goes back to the place of prayer, and he went to the altar. The main challenge last week was if you've left the Lord, it's time to return. Go to the place you, you left Him. Get back to the altar, get right with God, so that you can go forward again. And now for today, I'd like to begin by looking in verse 3, and we're going to read through verse 13. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, 
that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Well, amen. We are going to pick this back up in verse 5. And in verse 5, we find a familiar sight, and that is Lot is with Abram. Remember Lot's father, Haran, who was an older brother to Abram, And that makes Lot Abram's nephew. Haran died back in Ur of the Chaldees before they ever left. And when Abram left Ur, he had his father Terah with him and his nephew Lot with him. They journeyed to a city called Haran. And they dwelt there until Terah died. And after the passing of Abram's father... Abram leaves and he journeys into the land of Canaan. But Lot is still with him. Now, it's it's amazing how some Bible teachers will take an assumption and they'll present it as if it's fact. And I can show you how that happens a lot. I want to show you one here. Many assume Lot was younger than Abram because... Abram was his uncle. And they'll present that as if it's fact. And they use that assumption to teach that the reason Lot was always with Abram was because Abram became his adopted father after Terah died. So here's the picture that people kind of get in their mind. They leave Ur. Haran, Lot's father, has died. Terah feels a sense of obligation to bring Lot with him because it's his grandson and You know how that goes sometimes. And they go to Haran, Terah dies. Well, who's going to take care of Lot? And so people say, well, Abram, he's his uncle. That's why Lot's always with him. There was this sense of obligation. But let's be careful. Does the Bible say any of this? No. In fact, have you ever considered how it's very possible that Lot was older than Abram? Think about this. When Abram was born, Lot's father, Haran, was already 60. Moms and dads, how would you like that gap in your family? Amen. <laughs> Whew, I thought the Sullivans had it bad. <laughs> <laughs> if Haran married at 40, we're not told. If he married at 40, the, the nearest one we have to Haran that gives us the age that he got married is uh, Abraham's son, Isaac. Isaac got married at 40. If Haran married at 40, and if Haran had Lot in that first year, which wasn't uncommon, then Lot could have been as much as 19 years older than Abram. And that means when when Abram left Haran at the age of 75, Lot could have already been 94. Now, I'm aware the Bible doesn't say that, and I'm not trying to present it as fact and be guilty of what I'm saying others are guilty of. (laughs) But what I am trying to do is get you to think, and I'm trying to highlight how we must be careful running with this notion 
that Abram was older and therefore he must have had an obligation to take care of his nephew Lot and become an adopted father to him because he was just so much younger than Abram. So Lot may have been older than Abram. I wouldn't be surprised if they were about the same age. He, he may have been younger. But whatever the case, I don't believe we're meant to jump to the conclusion that Abram and Lot had a father-son relationship. Now, why am I taking the time to tell you all this and to build this case? What's the big deal? Well, in my mind, it matters quite a bit when we consider the call of God to Abram at the beginning of chapter 12. God said there in Genesis 12:1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. God's instructions to Abram were to leave where he was from, to leave his kindred, which we can make the argument that can mean the, the land of his nativity, but it can also mean his family, but this should clear it up, and to leave his father's house, which are those that are all related. But Lot is a part of his kindred, and so as he leaves, he's got Lot with him. He's not in full obedience, and you've heard me mention this several times. And Lot, of full age, is still with him, which means... Every time that we read, Lot is with Abram, we're we're being reminded Abram is not in full obedience to God's call. In chapter 11, in verse 31, Abram left Ur, but his father and Lot are still with him. In Genesis 12, in verse 4, when Abram departs Haran for the land of Canaan, we are told, and Lot went with him. In chapter 12, in verse 5, we're told how Abram took Lot with him into the land of Canaan. And we know Lot went with Abram down to Egypt because we're told at the beginning of chapter 13 how Abram went up out of Egypt and Lot with him. And now in verse 5, we're told how Lot went with Abram back to Bethel. So here's why I'm bringing all of this up. In our text today, we are going to see a situation unfolding which really should have never taken place had Abram just simply been obedient to God from the beginning. Do you understand how much heartache you could save yourself simply by being obedient to God? Well, that's not the message, but that's a good one. Write it down, Adrian. I'm preaching that just for fun. None of this really would have happened had Abram just been obedient when he left Ur, or even when he left Haran, and he would have separated himself from Lot. And we need to understand how all of this is playing out in Abram's life because we're going to see how God is going to use a strife between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot to bring Abram back into obedience with God. Let me put it this way. To bring him into fuller obedience with God. More complete obedience, if I can put it that way. This is a hard one to put. Somebody put it for me and then let me know afterwards. And so, what we're going to discover, listen now, not all conflicts are a bad thing. But sometimes... God will use conflict to get us back in line with His plans. Now, I realize I'm going to be walking a fine line here when we get to that point. So try to stay with me if you can. So with that, let's go back to our text. We see in verse 5 how Abram and Lot both had flocks and herds and tents, which again proves Lot here is of full age. 
He's got his own enterprise. In verse 2, we're told how Abram was very rich. And this language in verse 5 indicates that Lot was well off too. To have flocks and herds was to have a good financial portfolio. And I don't even know why I said that word because I don't even know what it means and I don't have one. (laughs) Amen. I'm like most of you. I'm just living from day to day. Amen. We aren't told the size of Lot's flocks and herds, but we know they both have large enough herds that is causing problems. And so they have quite a bit. And while we're not really told, the real giveaway here that Lot's doing okay for himself is the fact that we're told he has tents, plural. That was a big deal. And to have tents meant you had servants. To have servants and herdsmen means you had more than you could take care of by yourself. And it also meant if you had tents to house them, you had the ability to care for them. And so this is telling us Lot here has quite a bit. In fact, just a side note, by the time we get to chapter 14, we're going to see that Abram had 318 armed, trained servants in his house. 318. And that's just the armed, trained servants. There would have been many more. And so you can get an idea. This is a lot of people that we're dealing with here, a lot of stuff. So both of these men were wealthy. And because of this, we see in verse 6 that the land was not able to bear them, that they might not dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. Isn't it interesting? We're told twice they could not dwell together. Their substance was so great, the land could not support them. There wasn't enough room. And the reason why there wasn't enough room is because we are told at the end of verse 7, the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. So there's competition. They're not alone in the land of Canaan. There's a lot of people there. Others were using the land as well, and of course this complicated things. And as I mentioned last week, riches can come with their problems. I don't know that from firsthand experience, but I know that from the Bible. And, and in their case, this wealth led to a strife between the herdsmen of Abram's cattle and the herdsmen of Lot's cattle in verse 7. And so there are times that wealth can lead to trouble. And as we see in our text, it, leads to, it can lead to divided relationships. We've all heard of conflict arising after the passing of a loved one over an inheritance. And it's heartbreaking because what was supposed to be a blessing has now become a source of contention. Now we see this wasn't a personal conflict between Abram and Lot, at least not yet. But we can see in verse 8, Abram is deducing this conflict can grow to where it's now between me and Lot. He says... And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. So he understands this can grow between us. Right now it's between the herdsmen. But this can become a conflict that's going to grow. And so Abram here, he's going to take some action. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. This strife happens after Abram had returned to the altar and prayed to God again. Well, isn't that interesting? This is after Abram got his heart right from what happened down in Egypt. He's he's right with the Lord in in verse 4. It's important we recognize this because many have been told and they have now become convinced that when they get right with the Lord, everything in life is going to smooth out. Well, that may not happen. Praise God it might, but it might not. And, And so your situation, if it improves, great. But if it doesn't, I can tell you this, we can still have peace with God through it all because we're right with God. Amen? 
after Abram gets up from the altar. <laughs> Man, life's going to be great now. As soon as he gets up from the altar, the next event in his life that he's faced with is strife entering his camp. And at that moment, many get sidetracked. And they think, well, something must be wrong. This isn't what I signed up to. I must, uh, I must have missed the will of God. And um, I don't know if I want to do this God stuff. Someone makes a move towards God or they make a decision for God, then something uncomfortable happens in their life. And they believe, well, I must be on the wrong track. Maybe I should just take a step back for a minute, reassess, hold off on going forward. You know, let's get all of this in order first. Come on now, you know. Let's get all this situated. When really, when you got up from the altar and you made some decisions for God and things begin to get uncomfortable or the attacks come, it could be you're right on target. It could be Satan's attacking because he doesn't like you right with God. And so we need to understand this. The thing about strife, contentions, conflicts, is they have a way of revealing what's truly in our heart. Conflicts reveal your character. Don't judge your heart for God when everything's going great. It's easy when you're on top of the mountain. But inspect your heart when the conflicts arise. Have you ever had strife with someone before? Of course you have. You're human. We all go through it at times. None of us are immune to strife and contentions. It shows up in our marriages. It shows up in our homes, with our friends, on the job. And even it can show up within our churches. And it can, it can crop up at an instant. Did you know living with others comes with its challenges? Y'all can loosen up, amen. Especially early on. It ain't too bad during the engagement phase. What up, girl? I had a great supper with you. I'll see you tomorrow. It's a whole different thing when now y'all are confined to the same space and you got to share the same room with them. It's no longer, well, I'll see you tomorrow. Well, I guess I have to just keep dealing with you. Your breath does stink in the morning. Some of y'all acting like y'all just got everything together. I've heard this, so I'm not saying I know this. This is just what I've heard. But it can be like when you're down to two kids left in the home. And all they seem to do is bicker back and forth. I read this in a book, brother. I don't know if this is true. And it's like this nonstop bickering where they're just jabbing one another. It's not all out fighting. It's just verbal jabs. Have y'all heard about this? Yeah, I've heard this can happen. And should it ever happen in my house, I would hope that my children would get a hold of what Abram will say to Lot in verse 8. Let there be no strife between me and thee, for we be brethren. And my other two kids are saying, I'm glad I'm out of the house for this one. Since conflicts are inevitable, how should we deal with conflict? 
Well, we need to take a look at how Abram dealt with this strife in the camp. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. When we deal with contention, the, the first thing we ought to do is admit what is at the root of that contention. And it's pride. It's pride, no matter what the contention is. Proverbs 13.10 is very clear. Only by pride cometh contention. Somehow pride is at the heart of the contention Abram is dealing with between the herdsmen. I don't know who's being more pushy here. We aren't told. But pride somewhere is involved. And pride is always involved any time we come to a contention. It's either on our part, on their part, or it's from both parties. And we need to admit this because once we are honest that pride is involved somewhere, I believe as Christians, as believers, it ought to cause us to now go into that conflict, address that conflict from a position of humility. Because we ought to want to do right by God's Word. We see in verse 8 how Abram deals with this conflict by taking the initiative to be a peacemaker. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, thy herdmen, my herdmen, for we be brethren. It takes two to fight. It takes two to fight, but it only takes one to take a step in the direction of reconciliation. Someone needs to be willing to swallow their pride and be prepared to make the first move when strife arises. We have to choose to be peacemakers. It is a choice. We have to learn to die to ourselves. It's not a matter of if we feel like ending a strife or not. But are we going to choose to do it? Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. So are you a peacemaker? Or do you stew and fume and then blow up and then you disappear somewhere? Well, if he wants to make things right, then he knows where he can find me. That attitude is an attitude that says, I'm not interested in being a peacemaker. I'm not interested in reconciling. There are those in our church who are still holding on to strife that took place somewhere in the past, and some have even left us due to unresolved conflict. They refuse to go to the one that they have the contention with and make it right. And if that's you, you're hindering your growth and you're hindering our church. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. 
Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Next in verse 9, Abram deals with conflict by being humble. Abram takes the high road, as we say. And he makes Lot an offer. He puts the ball into Lot's court. He gives Lot an opportunity to make a choice. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate. <laughs> That's twice I've said that. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now wait a minute. Abram's the one who has been called by God to go into the land of Canaan. Abram's the one who has received the promises from God. Abram's the one who has followed God by faith into the land. And therefore, I think we can make the argument, Abram has the right to look at Lot and tell him what to do. But Abram chooses to move forward in selflessness and pursue peace. Romans 12, 18, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Proverbs 18, 19, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. In humility, Abram is breaking down the barriers. And we see how Abram is growing in his walk with God. He doesn't scheme here like he did before he entered into Egypt. He's now walking by faith again. Whatever you choose, I'll go the other direction. Abram is now trusting God with the outcome. And so this is how we can deal with contention. We recognize there's pride. We move forward from the position of humility. We purpose to be a peacemaker. And we take the initiative. We die to self. We take the initiative toward reconciliation. And then we trust God. Now, there's one other thing that's very important here that I want to bring out. I hinted at this earlier, and that's this. And don't miss this. It may not always be a bad thing when conflicts arise in your life. It may not always be a bad thing. Our natural inclination is to view a conflict when it arises that it must be bad. But in God's providence, He may have brought you to a conflict in your life because He has a greater purpose in mind. You remember at the end of Acts 15, there was a contention between Paul and Barnabas that was so sharp that they parted company. Remember that? They had a contention over whether John Mark should accompany them on the, their next missionary journey, the second one. And for reasons we're not told, they had that contention because Paul had his doubts because Mark had bailed out on them on the first journey. So Barnabas wanted to take Mark, and Paul didn't. And we can get hung up on how terrible it was that they had a contention. And I believe it should have been handled better than it was. But in the end, it worked out for the furtherance of the gospel geographically. Luke records how Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus which was westward. And Paul, it records, took Silas, and they went north up into Syria, and then westward into Cilicia. So from a contention, 
two missionary groups were established instead of one. And more ground was being covered. And so the gospel was going forth with greater power. Now, this may be difficult for some of you to grasp because you have this perception of how you need to be accepted by everyone. But God may use conflicts in your life to separate you from those you should not be with. God may be at work to separate you from those who are going to bring you down in your walk with God. Those that are going to stifle your walk with God. Now, I'm sure it wasn't pleasurable for Abram and Lot to go through all of this, but the reality is this. God is at work to remove Lot from Abram's life. Lot was hindering Abram's growth. This conflict, it is necessary for the continued sanctification in Abram's life. And so God sometimes uses conflicts for our good. Have you ever found yourself in a relationship that is hindering you? Listen, now, it it may not even be an unbeliever. You realize two young people can hook up that aren't right for each other, but they they both may be believers. It doesn't have to be an unbeliever that I'm talking about that's hindering you or that's holding you back or that's stifling your walk with God. It could be God is at work to separate you by creating situations where a separation can occur. It doesn't have to be rude, amen. It doesn't have to be ugly. It's just God at work. Understand, Abram and Lot did not have a falling out. They just parted ways. Notice when Abram says to Lot in verse 9, he says this, separate, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. What a goofy thing to say to somebody. To your own family. You know what? I just pray that you'll separate yourself from me. Now, don't come to me and try to use this in your marriage, okay? No, you said I do. You entered a covenant. You deal with it. <laughs> Yeah, my wife and I fight all the time. Preacher said, it's God at work. He's separating us. I'm not saying that. But it does seem odd for someone to say, "Separate separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. But it's not really that odd when you understand that sometimes it's for the best. And this statement shows us how separation from some people isn't always a bad thing. We have had those who have left our church, and, and believe me when I tell you, I've worked with every one of them. But once it becomes clear that my efforts are, are failing, going to fail, or have failed, at some point I have to let it go. And I have to recognize God just may be working in ways that I don't fully understand. And as much as it pains me, and believe me, it does, the fact is there have been those who needed to move. They needed to move on because they would have ended up being a hindrance to what God is doing here. And most often, God ends up bringing in those to replace those who left who are on board. Sometimes we just have to accept it. And while I don't like to see anyone leave, I've learned God is at work in all directions. God is working on me as a pastor. God is working on our church as a flock. God is working in their heart. God's doing something in their life. 
And I don't always understand it. But we have to give space for the Holy Spirit to work. Sometimes we just have to be okay with separate thyself from me. Now, don't misunderstand me, okay? We are not to go looking for contentions in order for God to work. Just because God can use contentions, it doesn't mean we should look at every conflict as being from the Lord. Both parties might be in sin. If you're not right with God, then don't try to use, well, God, you know, He's just trying to draw me closer. Maybe He is, and you're not seeing the way He's trying to draw you closer. Anyway, ultimately, what we ought to desire is no strife. Like Abram, we should say, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. And we should seek to peacefully dissolve every conflict. But when you are faced with contention, you need to be able to take a step back and be on the lookout for how God may be at work through it all. Because God may have a greater purpose in mind. Abram was right with the Lord when the strife began, except for one thing. He had not yet separated himself from Lot. So isn't this, isn't this interesting? He gets up from the altar. He's right except for this one area. And what does God do next? Now that you're drawing near to me, I'm going to give you something that's going to get you even closer. Because God said, if you draw near to me, I'm going to draw near to you. Amen. You say, well, I don't like the way God's doing that. Trust Him. And, and so he, he gets up. He, he's got this strife. He's right with the Lord, except for the fact that Lot is still with him. He has not obeyed God from separating from him because he was of his father's house. And so in reality, God is at work through this strife to bring Abram into full obedience. And get this, don't miss it. Once Once Abram separated from Lot, God speaks to Abram again. We'll cover these verses in greater detail in another message. But notice what takes place in verses 14 and 16 in in, in this chapter. And the Lord said unto Abram, get this, after that Lot was separated from him. Lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Once all was said and done, God used this conflict to bring Abram into obedience, to further Abram's growth, to further Abram's sanctification, to bring peace to Abram, to deepen Abram's walk with God. And once the separation took place, God then revealed more to Abram. Is there strife in your life today? Are there contentions that you're dealing with? Maybe God has allowed that strife into your life to bring you into obedience. Maybe God has something more for you, but He can't get you to where He wants you without you being separated from that one who is holding you back. Maybe you're the cause of strife. If so, get your heart right with God 
And whoever you have an issue with, go to that one and make it right because you're hindering your growth as well. And perhaps there's someone here, they've got a contention with God. Did you know God wants to make peace with you? God took the initiative. He humbled Himself. He became a peacemaker. He offers reconciliation through Christ's sacrifice and His shed blood. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, all you have to do is swallow your pride and accept God's free gift of salvation by trusting in His virgin birth, His sinless life, His sacrificial death, His burial, His triumphal resurrection, and then ascending into heaven. If you believe in Christ, you can have your sins forgiven. So is the Lord drawing you today? Draw near to Him. Are you going through contentions today? Maybe God's trying to get your attention and get you to see, look, I'm trying to get you to the place you need to be. Deal with it. Let's pray.